Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life. This radio ministry is sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship in Boise, The Bread of Life Church. If you're looking for a place to give to that is taking the gospel in direct and personal evangelism and discipleship throughout the world, I'd like you to consider giving to Church Partnership Evangelism. On a daily basis, we are working with pastors in Asia, Africa, and South America, equipping them and directing them into engagements of the gospel with lost people. God is blessing, and the church in these places is growing. You can learn more about how God is using us by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. In Romans chapter 4, verse 23, Paul declares that the instruction of Scripture, those old tales and histories, those prophecies and poems, were written for our benefit. We are not to play games with God's Word, not when we teach it, and not when we come under its instruction. I have this week been working on a theological and biblical response, an academic article to an article that was written or a letter that was written by a colleague of mine that I know. I disagree with his position, and I disagree with the way he stated his position. Yet he brought forward his credentials and he he brought forth his argument in a kind of a disciplined academic expression. I just felt prompted to write a response. So I've been writing it. Actually, that's what I've been doing almost every day this week, writing the article, thinking about it, how I'm going to put it together. I've got it all written. And and now I, I don't know if I want to publish it and put it forward because I'm afraid that all it's going to do is just ignite another volley, another round of intellectual upmanship. You know, I'm going to state my academic position. I'm going to put forward my logical arguments. And then he's going to return his arguments in this position. And we'll just go back and forth. And that is not the reason which we come before God's word and we wrestle with its truth. And yes, iron sharpens iron in these relationship. And it's a good thing sometimes. It's not wrong to talk about things and disagree and discuss them back and forth. But if all we're doing is engaging in a kind of intellectual theological gamesmanship, in which we're playing our game of risk to see who's going to win before we put the game away so that one of us can go away feeling good about ourselves or even if we lose so we can go back and sharpen our position so the next time we can win. Well, that's, that has nothing to do with why these things are written and why God gives us these truths. Why from the outset, Paul in Romans chapter 1 and going forward begins to lay down all these wonderful theological and biblical truths and brings us to consider history and brings us before the history and life of Abraham and David and gives us his observations of society and its idolatry and its moralisms and its religious legalisms and puts before us his strong argument that we can only be saved by justification by faith and he does all these things to direct it just to one point. You and me. It's just for us. It's just that we would grow and we would learn and we would discover God's truth and we'd live in conformity to it. And This puts a profound obligation and responsibility upon the man in the pulpit and the preacher and the teacher. That he check always his motivation and his intent and his purpose. That his design is not somehow to preen himself as show how intellectually sharp he is. How good he is at communicating or whatever it is. It's for the benefit of the hearer. It's been of those who are here to listen and learn and grow and mature and be conformed in the image of Christ. It actually puts a profound obligation on the listener as well. You're not here to build up a reservoir of information so that you can feel good about yourself or so that you can 
measure yourself against what other people know or don't know. When the word is spoken, it's pronounced, it's pronounced for you. It's not so you can say, man, I wish such and such were here to hear this. It's pronounced for you. That you would know and you would grow and you'd learn what God is trying to teach you. So, this is the purpose and this is why we're here and this is the goal. and This is why we gather together and this is why we meet for Sunday school and this is why we gather together in small groups and this is why we have women's Bible studies and this is why we have our times of discipleship with one another. It's because we know. We know these things are for us. They're for our benefit. They're for us to learn and grow and develop and mature. That might be the most important thing just for today that we carry away with us. It would change, I think, the way we approach this word and the way we grow and learn together. And also would give us an ability to some extent to use discernment when we're reading the articles that are being published and we're fishing through social media. Nowadays, it it appears to me that the way that the algorithms work on the types of things that show up on your computer is your computer knows what you've read before and so it'll start feeding you stuff. If you're reading stuff that's written by an author who has a unique position, theological position one way or another, eventually you start getting authors from that way. And then when you start reading those authors, oftentimes in order that you read them, they want you to read them because they've got a complaint. They got somebody they want to correct. They're going to put themselves in the right position and show five reasons why they're in the right position and everybody else is in the wrong position. And you get this habit starting forming around you of this constant contention and theological gamesmanship. And you think you're learning. But the medium through which you're learning, and it's truth, they might lay out wonderful truths that are all good, but the medium, the way in which it's coming to you and the way in which it's processing you is always in this comparative state of getting ahead of somebody else and gaining the position or other person and it defeats the whole purpose. It makes a kind of self-idolatry and an idolatry of your theology, even good theology and good biblical truth. It's something that this age particularly needs to repent of and so use discernment when you're reading things. If this is just just feeding, in a sense, an idea, no matter how good it is and true it is, if this is just being put forward in a contest, I don't want to make me feel better or feeding my appetite for controversy, show that I'm in the right place, take a bit of a step back. This has been written, God has brought these truths for me, for us to learn so that we would be led before him. And here would be the second point. Now let's look at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Before we look into the particulars of it, there's a little statement here that's most important for us to read. It says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's going to talk about what the objective of this faith is, what it is we're brought to, what the object that's gained or acquired through this justifying faith. And there's three things mentioned here. It's going to say that we have peace with God. We have access now into these gracious, abounding blessings that are ours through God. And then we also have this standing of joyful anticipation of the future that overcomes the trials and difficulties we face in life, this too is brought to us through our faith, our justifying faith in Jesus Christ, so that we have this wonderfully assured state, and that's basically what Paul is getting at. But the thing that I want us to see here, first of all, is that these gained objectives that we have through faith all rally around the person of Jesus Christ. So Paul writes, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have gained access. It all, it all comes around the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let me just make this as a second point here, that all proper instruction in God's word, all of the things that God brings to us as promises, as benefits that we should know and understand so that we can grow in those benefits so that we can, in a sense, avail ourselves of all that God has brought to us, all of it gathers around our Lord Jesus Christ. We have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to offer you but that which comes through Him. Pay attention again to those who are teaching you and instructing you and delivering the Word of God to you and trying to apply its lessons to you. Pay attention that what they say, if it is not clothed and covered and guiding you all the way to the feet of the Lord Jesus, to love Him, to find Him dear and precious. If it's instead appealing to your intellect, if it's appealing to a sense of maintaining some moral superiority, if it's appealing to just ethical exercises by which you develop good discipline so that you can regulate your own life, and it doesn't bring you to Christ, not simply as an example so that you can show that you can be just like Him, but as the provision and the answer for everything in your life. Well, something is amiss here. All good instruction brings us to Him because He is the door and He is the way and He is the truth and He is the life. And He is not only Savior, but He is salvation. And He is not only sanctifier, but He is our holiness. His own life is our holiness, living and abiding within us. He's our reconciler. And He's the one who enfolds us into relationship with God. And we have nothing good to offer you. I have nothing good to offer you apart from Christ. So we should always be speaking of Him. Our language should always be directed to Him. I don't know what it is about the nature of the teaching we have in our church, but at times we attract individuals who want to think critically and theologically. That's a good thing. We want to attract those individuals, and they want to think critically and theologically but then when they come into your fellowship, they discover that you don't think the same way they think. You don't have the exact same theological position. They thought that you did. You know, they were listening to you. And here's a guy who's going to have the doctrinal positions that I have. I've had people call me and be convinced that I was a Pentecostal because they've been listening to the message I've been preaching on how the Holy Spirit works for our life. And they've wanted to come and attend. And then they find out, well, I'm not a Pentecostal. Another person might come and think, no, this guy is a solid five-point Calvinist. And I will tell him, listen, I'm of the Reformed tradition, but I'm not a, a five-point Calvinist unless I get to make all the definitions. And if you listen to me, I can. And, and then I can be, but maybe I won't satisfy you, and I don't. So as soon as they find out I'm not, they might leave. Or No, instead, they, the first issue is they want to come in, and we had one young man who just wanted to debate his theological position with everyone. Just wanted to make sure, and he was concerned that I would inhibit him, I would keep him from bringing to everybody the gospel of his theological position. I told this young man, no, you're free to say whatever you want. You're free to share your position anyone want. Here's just one, here's just one proviso I want to give you as advice. If you're just trying to win a theological argument, people ultimately are not going to appreciate it, or you're just going to divide people up. But if instead, in your theological argument, you can just show that it causes you to be brought to the feet of the Lord Jesus where you're living in surrendered, loving worship before His feet. Even if they don't agree with the arguments, they'll love where it brought you. And they'll want to go with you to that point. So just make sure, let's have the debate, let's have the discussion, but let's get to that point always. 
Let's get to Christ. We're living in this surrendered obedience to Him. We need that more and more in the life of our churches today. 71 times in the book of Romans, Paul is going to deploy the name of Christ. 31 times in Romans, he's going to deploy the name of Jesus. 39 times, he's going to refer to our Savior as Lord. 15 times in Romans, Paul is going to pull all those names together, and he's going to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ our Lord. And 11 of those times, he states it in the possessive. He says, our Lord Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ our Lord, or Christ Jesus our Lord. He can't get away. He cannot get away from casting the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ over everything that he says. Again, there is a defect in anything we call Christian, or in any doctrine we celebrate, or in any manner of conduct that we pursue that does not draw out from us a singular rallying point around our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. This is a warning to you who are pursuing those that you want to rally around for their doctrines or their beliefs or their truths or what they're teaching or what they're railing against or what they're calling for. Find Jesus in it. Find Him so much in it that He's what matters above everything else. This is a warning for the pastor. If for the work we're engaged in, ultimately as we look at it, demonstrates that we have little regard for His name, for His life, for His presence, for His being. No matter what we're doing, however valuable it may seem to be, it's not really Christian. Thanks for joining us at the Bread of Life. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.